We've been in a series entitled Poverty, Money, and God. Today is part three of that series, and I'm going to talk about tithing. You know, tithing is one of those subjects that has so many different contrasting messages. Uh, in fact, it, it can be confusing. Um, I've met a lot of Christians who would just rather not talk about it. Um, it brings a variety of, it raises a variety of, of concerns for Christians. I was behind a vehicle uh, the other day and I thought about this contrast in messages, even from Christians. And um, I don't know about you, when I pull up behind a vehicle, I'm always looking at it real carefully. I look at the license and look at the back of it and try to tell what kind of car it is and how old and so forth. And I stumbled across this, uh, this picture or this vehicle, and so I took a picture. Did you notice right below the, or above the license plate there? And I know we're in church, but <clears throat> it just it caught my attention. If you can't read that, it says, I'm only driving like this to piss you off. And then up above. <laughs> but notice the messages above that. Put on the full armor of God. In God we trust. Real men love Jesus. But I am driving like this. And I'm wondering if the subject of tithing isn't a little bit like that. Praise God. God's in control, God loves me, I'm surrendered, I love Jesus with all my heart. But I hate tithing. Tithing's a curse. Tithing's bondage. So I thought maybe I'd start with a few statistics that are current regarding this subject of tithing. And um, just see how this idea of being led by the Spirit. I'm just led by the Spirit in my giving. So here's some of the results of that in the modern church. Americans today give 1.1 to 1.4% of their yearly income to various causes and charitable organizations. That number has declined by a full percentage point in the last 10 years. American Christians give 1.5 to 3.1% to their church and other charitable organizations, and that number has dropped more than a percentage point in the past 10 years. Only four out of 10 church attendees, excuse me, four out of 10 church attendees give nothing to their local church. So if, if we're average in terms of that statistic, then four out of every 10 people in this congregation right now never give anything to their local church. Only one out of 10 regular church attendees give a consistent percentage of their income to the local church. And then get this, the national average of people who tithe to their local church is currently 4% of church attending Christians. Only 4%. So that would mean out of a congregation of 100 people, four people tithe. As I thought about these statistics and wrestled with how best to talk to you about this important subject of tithing, it occurred to me as I read through perhaps the most famous passage in all of the Bible about tithing, that this is an issue of ownership. Turn with me, Malachi chapter three. 
Malachi chapter three, I'll begin reading in verse seven. From the days of your ancestors, you have ignored my commandments and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of, heavenly, of the heavenly armies. But you say, how should we return? Can a person rob God? You indeed are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? In tithes and contributions. You are bound for judgment because you are robbing me. This whole nation is guilty. Bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my temple and test me in this matter, says the Lord of the heavenly hosts, to see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out blessing for you until there is no room for it at all. Then I will stop the plague from ruining your crops and the vine will not lose its fruit before harvest, says the Lord of the heavenly armies. Now I don't know about you, but at least in my religious upbringing, this has been the de facto standard passage for tithing. And I certainly understand why this would cause concern in the heart of any Christian, at least any Christian that understands the New Testament relationship of grace and our walk with Jesus Christ. I want to draw your attention to verse 10 where it says, number one, test me. I am not sure I know of a Another place in all of the Bible where God invites us to test him. Do you? God invites us to prove him. God invites us to enter in to this thing called tithing and he says, you go ahead and test me. Now that's interesting. And number two, he says, see if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessing until there isn't room to contain all of it. Wow. Now, here's the problem. If you approach this passage as merely a passage about money and that if you don't give it, God's mad at you, he's going to curse you, and he's going to remove blessing from your life, you're in deep trouble. You will forever run from this principle, this great principle of tithing. Without a proper understanding of the kingdom principle of ownership, tithing will always be associated with fear, shame, and a lack of trust. And the issue isn't do I owe God something, rather it's how am I stewarding what's been placed in my hand. See, in the old covenant, it was all about obedience and performance and approval, and I had to obey to be blessed. I had to give, give to God the tithe or else I was robbing him and he would curse me. But dear ones, that is not New Testament, a New Testament relationship with God. Far from it. And this whole thing has flipped and yet the principles of this passage that we just read have not changed. There's beautiful principles about your finances here and about our relationship with God here. But there is and should never be any fear or shame or lack of trust associated with you and God when it comes to your money, ever. So again, the issue isn't, do I owe God something? It's what am I doing to steward what he's put in my hand? So he says, return to me, says the Lord, who rules over all. To me, that speaks of ownership. If he rules everything, then it's all his. If at any point, 
Old or New Testaments, I could be robbing him of something, then he's saying it all belongs to me. I think the message here isn't one of cursing and robbing and all of that. It's, hey, who's owner? Let me ask you. Who's owner of what's in your life? Who's the owner of what you have? Who's the owner of all of your blessings, all of your material things? Who's the owner of my very life and the next breath I take? Who owns all of that? I think that really is the New Testament concept that the Holy Spirit would have us see here. Return to me, says the Lord, who rules over all. I don't know about you, but I see something much bigger here than just the principle of ownership in terms of our finances. He's not talking merely about finances. He's talking about my entire life and being. How many of you know God doesn't need my, my money? He wants my heart. Giving God my money is simply an expression of faith that he owns my heart. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew's gospel when he addressed this issue of money. Now, here's how he took six verses of Malachi that we read and condensed them into a sentence. Jesus was very good at doing that. You ready? Watch this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. (laughs) I own you. I own the breath you're going to take. I own everything in the world. I own this earth and the terra firma and all that's in it. And every blessing you have comes from me. But you know what? I'm not going to argue that. I'm not going to wrestle with you about that. I just want you to know something. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. So don't say, I'm surrendered. I love Jesus with all my heart. Just don't say that if you're not being a good steward of your money and your possessions. All right, so. For most Christians, and I dare say many of you in this room right now, three things are normally associated with tithing. Fear, shame, and a trust issue. The fear comes from stealing or robbing and that somehow I'm going to be cursed. But there's another fear element here, that instead of being able to boldly release the blessing through decree, my fear reduces me to just begging and petitioning God for things that I'm not even sure he wants to give me. Fear will always reduce you to a place, a petition, instead of embolden you to decreeing heaven on earth that's what fear does and so fearing that you're robbing God fearing that you're stealing from God is the exact opposite of God and exact opposite of what Jesus wants us to walk in he wants us to walk in a boldness he wants us to walk in heaven on earth and declare it and release it on earth You see, whatever love hasn't possessed, fear will try to take its place. Whatever I haven't allowed love to influence, fear will manipulate. See, if I haven't allowed love to possess and influence my giving and my money, fear will manipulate it. Then there's shame. You know that shame can only manifest where your identity rests in seeking approval and blessing rather than resting in Christ's finished work. Shame can only manifest where our identity rests in seeking approval and blessing 
rather than simply resting in what Christ did for us in reconciling us to the Father and then placing us in the Trinity. Think of this. Can you imagine being reconciled to the Father, placed inside the Trinity, where Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 17, prayed, Lord, they're in us, we are in them, we are all one. Help them love each other like I love you. Isn't that amazing prayer? Now, can you imagine being placed in the very middle of the Holy Trinity, reconciled to God, made pure and righteous, and Malachi chapter three ringing in the back of your head, I've been robbing God, I'm stealing from God, God's going to curse me. There is no curse for the Christ follower in not tithing. There is no robbing God or curse involved in how you handle your money for the Christ follower. However, there are issues of stewarding what God has given us so that it releases all that heaven has for us now in our life, here on earth. So see, in the world, regarding this trust thing, in the world you do things because it feels right. In the kingdom, I do things because they are right. I don't tithe because I'm afraid of God. I tithe because I want to honor God. I want to love him. I want to give to him. He owns everything. And so I just want to honor him as possessor of heaven and earth and my heart. You see the difference between living and feeling and just living in the kingdom? Bill Johnson said, and I quote, we believers, we are believers. Don't reduce that to a life of being a feeler. End quote. We are believers. Don't reduce that to being or living a life of being a feeler. Faith has to find expression in actions that are rooted in a superior reality which reigns over any problems, challenges, or circumstances that I'm facing. Faith always needs an expression. Faith demands an expression of action rooted in a superior reality which reigns over any circumstances or challenges that I might be facing. Do you know what tithing does? When you choose to tithe, not because you feel like it and not because you're afraid, but because you want to honor God and you choose to live as a believer, not a feeler, you actually move yourself from this reality over into a kingdom reality where you are going to be the recipient of a superior reality of blessing and provision. And here's what God says. Come on out of this reality of the earth where people hoard and take and steal and do violence and rob and kill and and you know, amass everything that they can so that, you know, they can live. And they're afraid. They're afraid to release it. They're afraid to share it. They're afraid to give it. Why? Because they might go without. They're afraid. It's based on fear. The whole, you know, world system operates based on fear. He says, come on out of that world over into my kingdom into a superior reality where your faith will be released in open heavens. I submit to you, the heavens are open over your life, not closed. In the Old Testament, they may have been closed and he may have had to open them, but in the New Covenant, they are continually open 
All I need to do is get over into this reality by operating in the supernatural principles of faith and tithing is a supernatural principle of faith that moves me out of the world system over into kingdom principle and kingdom provision for my life. That's what tithing does. I've entitled our message today, How Tithing Changed Our Lives, Mine and My Wife's. You see, back when I was 19 years old, in fact, when I was 18, I met my wife at church. When I was 19, we began to date And one of the first questions we asked each other was, what are you called to do? We believed our life was to be given to the things of God, to the things of the kingdom. And so we established very early in our marriage the ethos that the local church was the most important institution God had established on earth and that we were going to be all in. And we've lived like that since. I I, I know everybody doesn't make that choice, but I'm just telling you, it's a rich, rich life. It is a blessed, blessed life. And frankly, we don't know any other way to live. We've been living this way since I was 19. And it's based on this, that the church of Jesus Christ, the local church, is the most important thing God has ever done in the earth or established in the earth organizationally and that he puts people in the body as it pleases him and he gives us one another as a gift and he says love one another. So we established that very early. We are sold out to the local church. There was a second thing we decided It's part of our ethos, our DNA, it's our character, it's what makes us tick. We were going to be faithful tithers and givers. And we have every since. Uh, It was about 11 years ago, 10 to 11 years ago, we moved from Broomfield into a home right up here off of... uh, Quebec in 131st. My wife was um, getting her hair done at the, or nails done at the nail dresser. (laughs) And she came home. I don't remember if she called me or she came home and told me and she said, honey, my nail technician has a home for rent and she'd like us to come look at it. Now, we hadn't really been thinking about moving necessarily. And we kind of talked about it on the phone and there were a number of reasons not to do it and why we shouldn't. But we said, okay, well, let's at least go look at it. It wasn't really in the optimal place that I wanted to be and live and so forth, and, but let, let's go look at it. The initial rent was easily three to $500 less than the going rate for this home, some 2,400 square feet. The initial rent was also $150 less than our current rent payment for our home in Broomfield. For a home that was 500 square feet larger. To convince us, because when we got there, it was some sort of home. We did like it. It was amazing. It would meet a lot of our needs. So to help us, to help convince us that this was the right decision for us, 
<laughs> she said she would take care of all the lawn maintenance and she'd hire a housekeeper to do our house and clean it once a month. At that point, Nina fell to her knees and said, thank you, Jesus. This is a manifestation from heaven. In the years that we rented there, almost eight years, seven years, she decided she needed to stop the lawn care, so she took $50 a month off our rent. When she stopped the housekeeping, she took another $50 off our rent. Per month. She later took another $50 per month off our rent just because she wanted us to stay there. Each year, she gave us $300 to $600 in gift cards to go spend. One year, she gave us a $300 gift card to Walmart and a $300 Visa gift card to spend wherever we wanted to. Now, we left one house in Broomfield that was smaller and more money to move into a much larger house, 500 square feet. You get the idea. It was less money, and then she just started blessing us. She returned our $695 deposit in year two. She gave us items for our kitchen. She spent over $700 one year to stretch and clean the carpet, and the following year spent $8,000 to re-carpet the entire house and let us go to Home Depot and pick out the carpet of our choice and our color. And carpet, re-carpeted the whole house. <laughs> now, I submit to you that tithing is not part of the curse. Tithing was before the law. Abraham gave tithes in Genesis 14. Jacob made a commitment to tithe off of everything he earned in Genesis 28, verse 22. And all of that, both of them were before the law of Moses, before Moses ever went up on the mountain and received. Abraham was operating in tithing. Jacob said, of everything I get, all my increase, I will faithfully give a tenth to you, Lord. You read it. Genesis 28, 22. Jesus himself upheld the tithe in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. You see, what tithing is, is it's a starting place for New Testament giving. Which, by the way, because of love and trust and us being reconciled to God and put into the middle of the Trinity, so now it's really a foreignity. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how that don't know how that works, but <laughs> what would it be? Four? If three is a trinity, then four would be a, a quadentity. A, a, a quadentity. <laughs> Imagine that. But, but what you find is we move from Old Testament law and curse, and we move into this relationship of love and blessing where the bar is even raised. Let me give you an example. In the Old Covenant, you were not to murder. In the New Covenant, Jesus says, if you hate somebody, you have already committed murder. And how am I doing? Am I being faithful with the scripture? Yeah. In the Old Covenant, he said, don't sleep around with other people's wives. Don't commit adultery. What do he say in the New Testament? If you look at a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery with her. Everything in the New Covenant is actually raised. The bar is raised. So now transfer that principle over into giving. Do you imagine that in the New Covenant, that in this loving relationship where we've been placed in the Trinity in this divine dance, that giving to the Lord would be less 
that it would be godly to say and declare, Christians no longer have to tithe. Christians don't have to give anymore. The Lord's not concerned with that. Just what, however you're led by the Spirit. No, excuse me. The tithe is simply a baseline. It's just the starting place in the new covenant. And what he does then is he moves us over into the principle of sowing seed. And we'll, we'll talk about this in detail next week, God willing where we talk about how Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that the principle now that we live on is this. If you, want, if you sow a little, then you will reap a little. If you sow much, you will reap abundance. It's up to you, he said, whatever you have in your heart. But now notice something here. I'm just going to throw this out for you to kind of chew on until next week. If you get little money, if, if, if you regularly receive little harvests, could that be considered a curse? Is God cursing you in light of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, 7, and 8? Is God cursing you if you receive a little harvest? No. I'm responsible my faith actions determine the level of harvest. But the net result could be considered a sort of curse. It's just God is not cursing you. He said, look, come into the principles of the kingdom. Operate now out of faith and love in your relationship with me. You're no longer cursed. You're not under an obligation but I'm going to raise the bar. How big of a harvest do you want? I don't know about you, but looking around the room, there's some of us here that could use a bigger harvest. Now, how big was that harvest to move from a smaller house into a larger house, pay less money, and then have your landlord give you annually reductions in rent, gift cards to Walmart, and then recarpet your house with the carpet of your choosing? Do you suppose that could be a result of the windows of heaven being, oh, excuse me. Do you suppose that could be that Jeff and Nina decided through regular giving and faith actions, believing that God wanted to move us from an Old Testament reality and a worldly reality over into a new kingdom reality of releasing and decreeing heaven on earth? Do you suppose that what could have happened since Jeff and Nina decided long ago we're going to tithe faithfully, that's just our baseline, and then we're also going to give offerings on top of that and for 40 years of marriage now we have been doing this do you suppose that maybe what happened in that home situation is that we accessed something that God had already put in the storehouse when he opened the windows of heaven and said hey son guess what what I just put in the bank for you here's the account number here's the password do you want to access it? It's all yours. He told the prodigal's brother, not the prodigal son, but the prodigal son's brother, when the brother was complaining about how the father was treating the prodigal in coming home, and he threw him a party and gave him a robe and lavished him with blessings. And so the older brother began to complain. And here's what the father said. Son, all I have is yours it's been yours you could have thrown a party you could have had a coat you could have put a ring on your finger you could have invited a bunch of people over and had a great time and you didn't because you were still operating under the threat the fear the shame of a curse and didn't realize I'm your dad I own everything and there's nothing that delights my heart more than to give it to my kids. But there's principles to releasing it. Faith accesses what God has set aside for you. And the tithe, just a baseline. Where do you want to go with this thing? Wait till next week. We need to stream it or somehow get it to you. We'll do that. 
All right, we will do that. We will get that to you. These two gals live out of state, friends of Karen's, here for a, a girl's time, visiting our state and going up into the mountains. And, uh, and so, they're, isn't that beautiful? On vacation and came to church on Sunday morning. I have a difficult time getting everybody here. Oh, I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm just not going to. I'm just not, not in front of our guests anyway. I'm just not, I'm just not going to do it. So then this landlord uh, came to us and said, I, I'm, I'm, I want to sell the house. Would you like to buy it? And at the time, at least, we just, we, we loved living there, but we didn't want to buy it. We wanted to buy a home, but we didn't want to buy that home. And so we decided to move. And uh, some of you have been at, to the home that we live in now. We had seen this house, but didn't originally think that it was the place. On the day that we woke, feeling like this is the day. It's going to happen today. How many of you have ever woken? And you just know, you just know inside yourself this is the day. I remember your testimony, Townsend's, how God led you to that home. Yeah, very similar. We woke and said, this is the day. And we re-looked at this house. And the house had been on the market for a month with no takers. And at that time, properties were going like this, within days of listing them. So that day, we felt like this was the right house. And we made a decision and the offer was $10,000 less than the asking price, what we were going in at. Before we were able to make the offer, the sellers lowered their price $10,000. Within the month, someone sent us $10,000 who wasn't even aware that we were buying a house and that we didn't have the down payment for it. Shatamosai, <laughs> yeah. And then we, we mentioned that it, it would be awesome if, if they could leave some storage racks for us because it, it was a big home, we needed storage, and they had beautiful storage racks in all of the storage places. And they said, well, we, we plan to take those. Not only did they leave them easily $2,000 in storage racks, they left three refrigerators, an upgraded stove, an upgraded wash machine, or excuse me, a dishwasher, all color-coded, you know, all these new, new things, and left hundreds of dollars in cleaning products. That's the home we live in now. Again, some of you have been there, so... Now, does that stuff just happen? You know, is God just being good because we're pastors? Or do you understand that when I was 18 and 19 and we met and we started working on the idea of living the rest of our lives together, our ethos at the foundation was we love the local church, we are all in, and we will always be givers and tithers. Do you suppose that in that decision to live by faith and not be restricted by this world and not operate or live in shame and fear, but move over into a kingdom reality of releasing and declaring the provision of heaven, do you suppose that maybe some of that is, is caught up in this idea where God says, look, I'll not only open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, It'll be so abundant that it's overflowing and there's not room for you to receive it all. God hasn't changed his mind about what he's going to do or how much he wants to bless you. All that's happened between Malachi and Matthew is all the curses removed. It's no longer performance and obedience to get blessed. It's all what Jesus did for you when he hung on that cross and he paid the price. 
and reconciled you back to the Father so that you have this perfect relationship. And then God made you a bank account and filled it with more than you can contain. Filled your bank account with more than you can possibly imagine or handle. Filled it and then said, son, daughter, here's the keys. Here's how you access it. Here's how you operate it. Tithing hasn't left the earth. It was before the law, during the law, and it's after the law. It's just a baseline, dear ones. When we see churches go broke, speaking about me and Nana, this is just where we live. When, when we see church workers going unpaid and church leaders struggling to meet basic financial needs within the church, we don't want to be a part of that problem. As a result, we have chosen consistently to give 10% of everything we earn back to the local church. Dear ones, cities would be better if there was an abundance in the local church to take care of staff and their programs and all that God wants the local church to be doing in the community. Ask yourself, what would happen What would happen if God's people gave according to the biblical precedent? How many lives would be changed? Could we expedite world evangelism and eradicate world hunger through the church? Could we care for our cities and be a light that could not be hid? Could we eliminate the poverty in our nation and the other nations of the earth? Could we take care of every widow and find a home for every orphan? Could we experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that resembles the book of Acts in chapter 2? Could we, if we got serious about God's financial plan for the earth and the local church, I say to you, yes, 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 yes. And God's just looking for people who will be faithful with the ideas and the principles of his kingdom. Tithing is not a punishable offense, it's a privileged opportunity. Mm. One of my mentors forwarded a position paper on the subject of tithing with three principles in it. And I, I found it very enlightening because it was not like anything I've ever read not even one of the three. Listen as I read. First, tithers become increasingly responsible and their responsibility leads to greater earnings. It holds true that those who make significant money usually have greater earning power because they carry responsibility well. Tithing develops responsibility and being responsible is rewarded in every area of your life. When people demonstrate that they are responsible, they are compensated for it. Jesus addressed this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 10, when he said, and I quote, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in larger ones. This is the famous passage that concludes with Jesus saying that we can't serve both God and money. Second, I've noticed that givers develop greater skills. God values the development of our skills. When he wants to do something, when he wants to get something done, he calls on people with skills. In other words, he rewards us for developing skills. God will place in us a desire to read, to to obtain an additional degree, to, to develop a technical skill. And thus, as we develop these skills, we make ourselves increasingly useful and we improve our earning power. Then we end up with a potential for greater prosperity. It simply happens that way. Because you're a giver. You're a tither. He said, third, givers are gracious. I have no idea how this works with certainty. And maybe it's just that they have attractive personalities. But tithers seem to grasp the bigger picture of what is truly important in life and they're willing to invest in others because they know a large portion of their role is caring by strengthening the ministry of the church. As a result, they're not crass, they're not crude, they're not rude, they're not brutal. Instead, they seem to know how to apply love and they seem to be preoccupied with investing 
in enriching lives and blessing the local church. Recently, I was sitting in a meeting of leaders. We were talking about a series, a course, that we wanted to do as a, as a leadership group about breaking the 200 barrier, breaking through it, get, getting, getting over and getting past those, those natural ceilings that keep us from growing. We were all excited about it but it was gonna cost $270 to get. One of our leaders who I happen to know is not only a tither, but a giver. And they've been doing this for as long as we have, 40, 50 years. They've always operated in tithing and giving. And today, they have a, a hugely successful business of helping others improve their finances. And, and just, uh, you know, they travel the country giving seminars and helping other people with financial issues and telling people how to get from where they are into a much more prosperous life. And interestingly, in this room of about 15 people, this same individual that lives to give put their hand up and said, I'll just buy the course. I think it's that important for us to go through. So I'll give you my credit card number and I'll just buy the course. Dear ones, that kind of faith, those kind of faith steps don't come out of a heart of shame or fear or lack of trusting and knowing who owns it all. That kind of faith comes out of being settled in who owns it, being settled that I live in love and being settled in the fact that I cannot outgive God not only am I going to give my tithe, but I am, also, I am also going to give in every other way that I can find. I'm going to leave you with something from, again, Bill Johnson, wonderful pastor of Bethel in Redding, California. Tremendous author, speaker. We've used his materials here. And I thought his words regarding this principle of tithing so, so relevant. Listen, and I quote, there's an oak tree in that acorn. The seed for kingdom explosion is the thing you have in your hand. You learn generosity with or when you have little. You say, Pastor Jeff, we can't tithe. We don't have enough to pay our bills. Ah, wrong thinking. That's the world's thinking. That's Old Testament shame and fear. Step over here and say, we absolutely can tithe because God is the source of heaven and earth. He's made a bank account for me and I'm going to start accessing it by using the password starting today. And all my bills, God knows what I have need of before I ask. All those bills will be paid. <laughs> yeah. See, you have in your hand what looks like to you is maybe only an acorn. You know what God sees? A mighty oak tree. See, God doesn't think like we think. God thinks according to the kingdom. We think according to lack. That was last week's message. Scarcity the scarcity mentality. God says that what you have in your hand, as little as it might be, is more than enough when you release it to me in faith to do a mighty miracle. And oh, by the way, I've heard people say, this, this might be great for you here in America, uh, for we who are in America and have jobs in the economy that we have. But you, you can't preach this to a poor person. Or you can't preach this to somebody in Africa or in the jungles of South America. You believe, Pastor, everybody in South America ought to have a Cadillac? Well, now that would be stupid, wouldn't it? They wouldn't be able to get it out of their dirt driveway. <laughs> Where are you going to go in the jungles of Africa? Africa. 
in a Cadillac. You couldn't back it up, much less get down through the trees and the growth and all of that to get to anybody. But you, do, you know what would be a great blessing of prosperity for somebody that lives in the jungles of South America or Africa? A bike, a bicycle, a horse. Of course, the neighbors might want to eat it, but I mean, we just, we won't go there. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, you know, a motorcycle, right? Would that be something we could believe for? Well, do you believe in telling a poor person or a widow that they ought to tithe? Jesus did. One time, the Bible says that Jesus parked himself outside the temple entra, uh, entrance and was just sitting there watching people come as they put their money in. And a little widow walked up. It says she was a widow and she was poor. Now, you would think that if God's against widows and poor people giving their tithe or bringing the money in and giving it to the local church, Jesus would have got up and said, no, no, sweetheart, keep that. You need bread this week. He didn't. He just sat there. <laughs> and she put in her amount. And then he said, all of you who have been dumping in your money out of your wealth, and it's not even proportional to what you could give, and you leave with this uppity up. He said, this little widow who's poor, who's put in the equivalent of maybe two nickels, has given more than all of you. Because it's in relationship to what you have. You might not have a thousand dollars to give. You may not be able to tithe five hundred dollars a month. But whatever you have is like an acorn that you could begin releasing a percentage of faithfully to tell God, never again will I be bound by the old covenant or this world. I'm moving over into the New Testament kingdom reality of the grace of God and I'm going to unlock it all with my faith. Could we stand? <laughs> 